in the last year, but mostly last week. On the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. You're comparing Devontae Parker to Marvin Harrison? And congratulations. That's a great take. Darius Geis only has one ACL, but who's counting? And yeah, so Ronald Jones is terrible. <laughs> so he's terrible. And drafting Ronald Jones over Darius Geis in the second round was an uh, embarrassment. Uh. And why did you do that to Carlos Williams? I am body shaming when it's men whose wives obviously are having the babies and they're gaining the weight with them. Like you don't get to gain weight because they gain weight. That's bullshit. And and you don't need a tailor because all you wear are t-shirts. Ah, uh, that's I, I I didn't notice that, but now it's gonna it's gonna bug me. And. If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! And I am crouched behind him. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, he's going ass over tea kettle. And the difference is Mike Gusecki probably won't be tackled by the penis anytime soon. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And it's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? elusive too in the conference usa i would look amazing in conference usa i'm not taking anything away from him but people so selectively downplay the conferences they they almost ignore it here's the truth about conference usa if you're not matt forte chris johnson or d'angelo williams we've never heard of you he do uh, you know he, he is a special, it, special it, it, uh, football player uh, we won't out smoke. We won't out smoke. We won't out smoke. You know, I'm, I'm partial because I coach at Southern Miss, but to me, um, he, he's the best back in the country, in my opinion. Yeah, he just he just breaking up the ice. We leaning. Stacking it tall. All right, let's do this. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. You can find me on Twitter at F-O underscore A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. And with me today, as always, Matt Kelly from Twitter at Fantasy underscore Mansion. Hello, Matt. This is a big day. I mean, this is a big day. I've had listeners ask to have Aaron Schatz on the show for three years. Three years! Just the first time you've been introed by an actual former radio disc jockey? Actual former radio disc jockey and analytics professional. Multiple big firsts on the Sonic Truth podcast, and I couldn't be more excited. I spent a lot of time last night crafting this show sheet. You told me off air that you're impressed with the show sheet. That was a huge compliment. I can't wait to get right into it. I know that's what you want to do. You want to jump right into this show sheet. And the biggest question that we have right now, and I think it's the reason why 
this has been one of, if not the most exciting off seasons that I can remember, is that we are anticipating an offensive resurgence this year in the NFL. Is that likely? Yeah, boy, we're hoping for it, aren't we? Yes. It's tintillating because there's so many quarterbacks that have arrived or are back from injury. I feel like it could happen. I feel like we could have this, this, this title surge of offense. I'm hoping. Yeah, offensive numbers had actually been going up every year until last year when they went down a little bit. And I think things are going to bounce back. And I think uh, the having the quarterbacks back from injury, th- there's two things that happened last year. One was a number of quarterbacks, really good quarterbacks, lost to injury. Right. The other was a number of coaches who shifted their teams in a more run-focused direction, right? So the average team had like 25 fewer passes over the course of the year than they did the year before. And that's, it's, that's not a usual year-to-year churn. That was a big difference compared to the last few years where it had sort of steadily been rising just a little bit every year and a little bit every year and a little bit every year. Suddenly last year, 25 passes go away from every offense. So the question is, how much are we going to see it coming back because guys like Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck are back? And how much are we not going to see it back because of so many coaches who are going so run more run-focused than they have been in recent years? Is there an increase in running game efficiency that I'm not aware of that these coaches are seeing, which is tempting them to call more run plays? I don't get it. No, I think yards per carry were pretty low last year compared to most recent seasons. Right. I didn't see a lot of running backs destroying the NFL with efficiency. There were... uh, There were fewer plays for each team last year. That, I think, is a function of the injured quarterbacks. And of those plays, more of them were runs. That is in part a function of teams trying to go more run-heavy like Jacksonville and Chicago. But Chicago is going to go the other way this year. I think you're going to find something sort of in the middle between 2016 and 2017. But it should mean higher offensive numbers and more exciting football. And for fantasy football purposes... Hopefully it means that game script will not dictate so few fantasy points because that's what happens when teams are leading and they are a run-focused team or they have a great running back in L.A. with Todd Gurley, for example. The play calling shifts to the run and we score less fantasy points and that's not ever what we want. So when you're looking at the game script from last year, can you identify a team that you think the game script is going to flip from the positive side of the ledger to the negative side of the ledger, where they're going to be in a lot more shootouts this year than they were last year? Well, I'll give you two teams. One is going to be a thought shift, and the other, I think, is going to be what actually happens. The thought shift is going to be Chicago, where they were like number one in run-pass ratio in the first half of games. And Kansas City, where Matt Nagy coached, was 32nd. So that's a big mental shift. The other one, I think, is Jacksonville. We are sort of alone out there in predicting that Jacksonville is going to take a step back this year. Their defense, as good as it was, was so heavily based on the pass. And run defense tends to be more consistent and easier to predict than pass defense. And they had very low injuries last year. And they were unbelievably good on offense. They were the best offense in the league in the first quarter of games. And that doesn't tend. What? That Yeah, they were the. The Jaguars? Uh, in the first quarter, they were 21st. Get out! 21st the rest of the game. First in the first quarter. And that's not something that's consistent from year to year. In a 16-game sample, the NFL is plagued by random chance. And this is the greatest example of just random chance skewing points toward the first quarter in Jacksonville, of all teams. 
take away some of that first quarter scoring and have the defense decline a little bit, still a good defense, but not the best in the league, right? Right. Now, all of a sudden, Jacksonville is in many more games. They're much less able to just constantly hand the ball to Fournette. Blake Bortles has to pass a lot. Right. So this is a bellwether for both Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles, that Leonard Fournette is a likely fade, and it portends more volume for Blake Bortles. And also, just because on principle, great defenses are more fleeting than great offenses. That's just how it works in the NFL. We saw this in Seattle. They had a great defense for like two years, and then you started seeing it decline. And that was rare. A team's defensive peak can be very steep, and then the decline also steep. The, uh, the length that the Legion of Boom was dominating on defense, and they weren't dominating, right? They weren't like the number one. I think they may have been number one two straight years. Right. That is very rare, and it wasn't even a very long peak, and it was very rare. You also end up with teams like the 2004 Buffalo Bills. The 2004 Buffalo Bills had the best defense in the league by our numbers. The following year, they were something like 25th. Wow. Well, based on the talent profile of the defenders in Jacksonville, we're expecting them to have a great defense. It just doesn't have to be a historically good defense. If it's just good and not historically good, that still will equate to significantly more passing in Jacksonville. It's too bad that the person doing the passing is Blake Bortles and not literally anyone else. And we saw in the draft both the Giants and the Jaguars not target quarterbacks or in free agency. Either way. The Jaguars could have signed Kirk Cousins. The Giants could have drafted anyone. Sam Darnold. What's happening? What are they doing? Well, it's a different question for Jacksonville because for Jacksonville, they, as far as the draft goes, the only one they would have had a shot at was Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they could have gone after Cousins in free agency, but I don't know how the cap fit works there. Um, the Giants, I think, made a big mistake. Uh, I big. don't believe in drafting running backs that high in the draft. And Saquon Barkley is the most talented running back to come out in the draft in many a year. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. If uh, I know that according to our backcast projection system, it had him number two among all running backs of the last 20 years. Bam. Trailing only Ricky Williams. Wow. Wow. And even Saquon Barkley being that good, I still wouldn't have taken him number two overall in the draft, especially when I had a quarterback who was in his late 30s like Eli Manning. What's the earliest you would have drafted Saquon Barkley if you were an NFL GM? It sort of depends on what the strengths and weaknesses of my team were. But I'd say if the team, if that was the clear weakness on the team. Right. Clear weakness. Middle of the first round. Middle of the first round is as early as you would take a generational talent at running back if that was a glaring need. And that speaks to the disposable nature of the running back position, but also the value of the running back position to the offense in general. And it speaks to Barkley's receiving value because part of what makes him a generational talent is his use as a receiver. And in a way, the differentiator between running backs at this point, a lot of what we see from running back performance is noise. The big differentiators are broken tackles and receiving ability. And Saquon Barkley's ability to break tackles and create yards was greater than anyone that charts those metrics has ever seen at Penn State. And he went out and caught over 50 passes last season in an offense where he was competing for targets with Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Gusecki, two NFL players drafted in the first four rounds. So in that context, 
Saquon Barkley's receiving production at the college level is indisputable. Yeah, Eli has never had a running back who's a receiver like this. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out for him. But NFL teams, as you mentioned, are still calling an inordinate number of run plays, especially based on the per-play efficiency of the run game versus the pass game. When you're talking to a football novice at a party, Aaron, what's the best way that you can explain just how backward NFL play calling is? You mean why it is or just how much it is? Both. How backward is it and why do you think it's so backward? Well, it's pretty simple. The one place where running tends to be more efficient than passing is in third and short and fourth and short. And that's the one place where teams pass more than they should and and don't run enough. And then all the other places, they run too much and they don't pass enough. And that's the best evidence for how backwards it is. Why? What, what, what are they doing? I, I think I used to say that it was because everybody grew up in the 70s when the yards per carry and yards per pass in the mid 70s were equal. Wow. It was the most run heavy version of the sport since 1950. I mean, passing was more efficient in the 50s and 60s than it was in the mid 70s. But I think also part of it is because we not only remember the, the football of old, but we remember the football of yesterday, as in Saturday. <laughs> right. Okay? Because as you go down levels in football, the running game becomes more and more important compared to the passing game. Uh, half the teams in the SEC last year, I think it was the Saints who led the league in yards per carry. Half the teams in the SEC gained more yards per carry than the Saints, who were number one in the NFL. And they did that against the best defenses in college football because it's the SEC. So if half the teams against the best defenses in college football are gaining more yards per carry than any NFL team, I think that's a pretty good indicator of the difference in the efficiency of the running game between the college game and the pro game. And the fact is coaches come up in a lot of ways. Many coaches come up through the ranks. They coach college. Some of them even coached high school at one point when the running game is even more important. They remember the 70s when the running game is more important. They remember people constantly talking about establish the run, establish the run. It's still going to take a lot of work to get over these beliefs that don't really fit the NFL game of today or, frankly, the NFL game of the last 15 years. Running the ball is embedded in coaching DNA. It just is. And you still got to do some of it. Of course. But it takes real forward-looking, outside-the-box thinkers that are willing to challenge themselves and the people around them to incorporate more data and to approach the game more intellectually. And there just are very few of those individuals in coaching now. And it's also not the personality type that generally is attracted to the sport of football. Well, yes and no. If you think about who from your high school do you think would be wired in a way that they could be a football coach, that's not the guy that was excelling in math class or science class. True, but there are lots of creative thinkers in the NFL. There's always been that the Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid strain of coaches. And they're noteworthy because they stood out from the rest. There was such a contrast between how they approached the game intellectually and the sea of other like-minded coaches. The Eagles Eagles championship... is a is a sign that hopefully this will start to change. Yes. Yes. It'll be the spread of the Andy Reid 
the Andy Reid family of coaches, and Reid has always been on the cutting edge as far as the passing game goes. Um, and then he's he's very conservative on fourth downs. That's always been one of his downfalls. But Peterson is very, very aggressive on fourth downs. So the hope is that we're now going to see a spread of a group of coaches who have the Andy Reid mentality about the passing game combined with the Doug Peterson mentality about aggressiveness. The aggressive strain of the Andy Reid DNA. Oh, I like that. I'm ex- I'm excited to see what Frank Reich does in Indianapolis. I realize it's not like he was with Peterson for years and years and years, but my hope is that he takes those influences to Indianapolis where they've got a great quarterback, assuming he's healthy, and a bunch of iffy runners. And I hope that they run a more pass-focused offense that's aggressive on fourth downs. Indianapolis could really surprise people this year. Well, how much will getting Andrew Luck back impact the Colts' skill position players? I think tremendously. Tremendously. That's just a big upgrade on Brissett. And Brissett was better than I think people realized last year, especially on deep passes. We had a guy do a, a study. I apologize for not remembering the name of the of the guest columnist, uh, but he watched all deep passes last year, and he thought Brissett was one of the best deep passers in the league. I know Key and Fahey, I think, came out with the same result when he looked at all the deep passes. Uh, but Andrew Luck is just a much more consistent and efficient quarterback overall. Uh, I think it's a big improvement for the Colts position players to have him back. There's just questions about who they are, right? Like, uh, how much are you going to give to two tight ends? It's very rare for two tight ends to both be fantasy worthy from the same team. And can the Colts, are the Colts going to do that? Are they really going to use Ebron and Doyle enough to make them both fantasy worthy? Or are they going to split things so much between them that neither of them is fantasy worthy? Or is he going to, are they going to, you know, just use Doyle more and and Ebron's going to be an afterthought? And I don't know yet what, what the result's going to be there. Well, you know, Andrew Luck, he loves him some Jack Doyle, right? You love Jack Doyle. Gotta look for Jack Doyle. Always looking for Jack Doyle. So based on the preferences of one Andrew Luck, I would tend to lean Jack Doyle. Yep. What about the addition of Quentin Nelson? Because we had draft analysts claiming that Quentin Nelson is the best run-blocking guard in the history of the NFL draft. (laughs) But based on where he was drafted, there were very few guards ever drafted that high. You add Andrew Luck and Quentin Nelson to that offense— and that's an above average offense. How are the Colts not going to exceed expectations, Aaron? I, I, I mean, assuming everybody's healthy, yeah, they're going to exceed expectations. And I think, I think people are paying maybe too much attention to the question of, oh, yeah, who are the receivers? And I, it's the same thing I feel about Dallas, is there's too much attention to who are the receivers and not enough to improvements on the offensive line and the quality of the quarterback position. Uh, and the the Colts offensive line has been such a problem for so many years. Uh, they were gave up a ton of pressure and a ton of, ton of sacks last year. What they really need is for Quentin Nelson to be a great pass blocker, not just a great run blocker. That's right. That's right. They were 31st in pressure allowed and 32nd in pressure allowed the last two years with completely different quarterbacks. And also, look at the defense. They've been stockpiling defenders as well, not just guards they are trying to get faster at all levels of the defense and they're using the nfl draft to enhance the talent profile of their defense what's maddening to me is every year you have these backward looking nfl analysts that not only are basing their analysis on last year's counting stats which is maddening as it is but beyond that they're just besmirching teams based on past reputations. 
Like the reputation of the team five or ten years ago. The Colts have a shitty defense. Okay, who on that defense is so bad? Tell me why it's going to be shitty this year. What about this year? Who are the players on the defense this year? Just because their brand isn't associated with great defense doesn't mean they can't be a great defense this year. Think the Jacksonville Jaguars defense was known as a great defense for many years? No, it was known as one of the worst. And now it's the best. That's true. Although we did know going into last year that the Jaguars had a ton of young talent and that they had added big time free agents in A.J. Boy and Calais Campbell. But here's a trend with Indianapolis. Indianapolis was actually an above average defense on first down last year. Oh, they were 10th in the league on first down, 16th. So average on second down. They were the worst third down defense since 1990 in the entire Football Outsiders database going back to 1986. The 2017 Colts were the worst defense on third downs since 1990 and the third worst defense we had ever tracked on third downs. Wow. That is not going to continue. It's not going to continue after they added Darius Leonard with the fourth pick in the second round. Then they came back over the top and said, no, 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 we need more speed, especially on the edge. We're going to go Chemico Ture, and then we're going to go even further. Yet another defensive end, Tyquan Lewis, who we love from Ohio State, one of the most athletic and explosive defensive ends in the draft. But very few NFL analysts know these names. When they see the name Colts, they associate that brand with bad defense, and then they move on. And that's maddening to me. And But some of it is just trends. It's just, look, the fact is there are fewer third downs, but they're more important. So this is just sort of random variability. It's not even that adding specific players helps. It's just the reversion of random variability helps. Because the fact is that the random variability makes these players look worse than they really are. But there are a lot more good defensive talents in the NFL than we give credit for. That's right. Sometimes they don't play great defense because random variability. And because, look, the fact is in the passing game, the most important thing is the quarterback. And it often the offense dictates the quality of the game on pass passing because the quarterback is so important. That's why pass defense tends to be more variable than run defense. And the Colts are investing in assets on the defense to stop the opposing team's passing attack, to affect, to to pressure the quarterback. That's where they're investing their resources. They're saying, we need help in the secondary and edge rushers. That's where they're focusing their investments in the NFL draft. The Green Bay Packers are doing the same thing. They're saying, oh, no, we're not going to draft one cornerback in the first 60 picks. We're going to draft two long athletic cornerbacks in the top 60 picks. We are going to make it more difficult to throw the ball against us. We're not going to burn draft picks on nose tackles and middle linebackers. True, you need a middle linebacker, but that's another position that's generally better picked later in the, in the, in the draft. It was an interesting draft this year. One of the interesting things about the draft this year... I'm not even a Colts fan, Aaron. I know, but... I'm just a fan of good analysis that looks at the full picture and analyzes the individual players and accounts for historic trends and randomness. Is that too much to ask? One of the interesting things about the draft this year is that the strongest positions in this year's draft tended to be the positions that analytics believe should be taken later in the draft. Right, right. The strongest positions were running back, running back, interior offensive line and off ball linebacker. Right. You had Quentin Nelson and you had Will Hernandez and you had the centers that went to Detroit and Cincinnati and then Isaiah Wynn, who they don't know if he's a guard or a tackle and Braden Smith, who went to the Colts. Also, 
the beginning of the second round was all guards. Austin Corbett, Will Hernandez. And then all these run, all these running backs, not just Saquon, but Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and Ronald Jones. Uh, and then you had all these off-ball linebackers go in the first bout, round. Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds and Leighton Vander Esch. So you were in this really interesting place this year where the premier talents tended to be at positions that are less uh, important in the draft because the premier talents at these positions stand out less than premier talents at positions like quarterback, wide receiver, pass rusher, and corner. That's why I thought this draft was a great litmus test for NFL general managers to navigate the talent profiles of these particular position groups. I thought it was a great litmus test, and I thought, for example, the new regime in Green Bay really stood out, having a successful draft. Right. In a draft where a lot of general managers really failed. Interestingly, by, yeah, by, you know, by by taking a later pick, you're less, you know, they got a cornerback who dropped down a little bit because off-ball linebackers and running backs were going before him. That's right. And that's how you get Josh Jackson at 45th. Bam, bam, because Karrion Johnson goes ahead of him. The cornerback position is more important, so it was an interesting draft. It was an interesting draft. If you were trading down, and with those picks that you acquired in trading down, if you drafted players that help your passing game or help you stop the opposing team's passing game, you were a winner. Yeah. We have a draft kit for fantasy football fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com. And in that draft kit, we have strength of schedule for every team. And one of the signature metrics on Football Outsiders, which is the website you manage, is DVOA. Can you explain the intellectual underpinnings of DVOA? Sure. It takes every play and it gives it a success rating based on the down and distance, based on the idea that you want to get 45% of yards on first down, 60% on second down, and 100% on third or fourth down. But then it also gives extra credit for long plays, and it gives sort of partial credit for almost plays, right? Like a third down play that comes a yard short of a first down gets partial credit. Then it compares that success rating to similar situations, a league average for similar situations, and then adjusts for opponent, and also the whole league normalizes the whole league to zero where the average is zero every year and that's how we get dvoa higher numbers are better on offense and special teams lower numbers are better on defense the weighted dvoa is uh, adjusts to give more strength to games near the end of the year regular dvoa has the opponent adjustments when it doesn't have opponent adjustments we just call it voa when we're looking at the opponents for nfl teams nfl players which team's schedule do you believe shifted most dramatically from unfriendly last season to friendly this season? Uh, the AFC South teams. Oh. Because uh, last year, the AFC South teams had to play the AFC North, which are good defenses, and they had to play the NFC West, which are good defenses. This year, they play the AFC East, where the defenses are not as good, and they play the uh, the AFC East and the NFC East. The NFC East is also more of an offensive. Obviously, Philly's got a great defense, but Dallas is better on offense than defense. Washington is better on offense than defense. We think the Giants will be better on offense than defense. They better be. They better be. Oh, they better be. They've been so inconsistent that it's hard to tell. <laughs> um, so the whole schedule for the AFC South becomes harder for the defenses and easier for the offenses this year. But I'm hearing that Washington's offense can't possibly be efficient this season because they lost Darius Guy. So no, they lost a running back, Aaron. 
How important is Darius Geis to Washington's offense? Not very. That that's the thing is it's not it's nowhere near as important as this quarterback or the top receiver or, or the left tackle. I mean, I'm bummed. It's it's a bummer for he's an exciting player. Definitely. You hate to see gladiators in the Coliseum get injured. And I feel bad for him and I feel bad for Washington fans. But it's not as important as if there was an injury to Jamison Crowder or Paul Richardson or Josh Dotson or the inevitable injury to Jordan Reed. Oh, no. The tight end is valuable. How important is Rob Gronkowski to the Patriots, speaking of important players to NFL offenses that are not quarterbacks? Yeah, I don't have the numbers at the tip of my tongue, but the offense goes down when when he's not in the game. There's only one skill position player that moves Tom Brady's needle when he's in and out of the lineup, and that's Rob Gronkowski. You can search replace the wide receivers all day. Won't affect Tom Brady's numbers. You remove Rob Gronkowski from that offense, and Tom Brady's production and efficiency declines dramatically. If you're talking about peak value, peak value, Rob Gronkowski is the greatest tight end who's ever played. Career value, I think it's still Tony Gonzalez. But peak value, it's Gronk. And Rob Gronkowski is still in his prime. We are about to enter the last vestiges of Rob Gronkowski's prime. This is exciting. We're still seeing peak Rob Gronkowski if he's healthy. Given who he's competing for targets with in New England this season, can Rob Gronkowski post the best tight end season of all time this season? Sure. I mean, is it likely? No. Can he? Yes. I mean, he's got the ability to, and he's got the quarterback to. Right? Right? We don't know who some of the receivers are going to be now because everybody is injured, and Malcolm Mitchell got cut, and Jordan Matthews got cut, and Decker is having trouble adapting to the offense, and Kenny Britt keeps having hamstring problems, and Edelman is suspended for four games. Amendola's in Miami. Amendola's in Miami. Think about it. It's crazy. It's all about Rob Gronkowski this year in New England. Are we on the verge of an NFL-wide tight end renaissance? No, I mean, it's it's a good time for the position. It is, right? But there have been other good times for the position. I know, but I feel like there was a lull in the tight end production around the league, and I think that similar to quarterbacks, we're going to have some previously injured tight ends regain health this season, and then an influx of hyper-talented young tight ends commanding more targets. Wouldn't you like to see 15 or 16 games of healthy Tyler Eifert again? Or Jordan Reed. Or Jordan Reed. And Greg Olson, absolutely. I'd also like to see David Njoku command a 95% snap share. I'd like to see O.J. Howard become a more featured weapon. When you start to think about the tight end talent profiles in the offenses around the league, you can start to get very excited very quickly. Throws to the tight end are more efficient than most football fans realize. Is that right? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have numbers handy right now, to be honest. I don't really have an answer to that. Well, just trust me. Now, what was the most surprising thing you learned when writing this year's Football Outsiders Almanac? And that's on sale now. Where can our listeners get that almanac? Uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2018. So it's over 500 pages, previews of all the teams, fantasy football projections, uh, previews of the top 50 college teams. Oh, you you can get the PDF version at our website, footballoutsiders.com. It costs $20. Oh, steal. The physical book costs $28.95 on Amazon. I like the physical books. 
It has a half. I am a Generation Xer, and I prefer the physical books, and all you millennials just need to eat it. It has a heft. The physical book has a heft. I like the heft. I also don't like to bring my iPhone into the bathroom with me. I prefer to read physical books in the bathroom. I think it's gross to be on your iPhone in the bathroom and and feel free to deliver that message to the president. I don't care. Make, make a stand. That's my stand. That's my stand. You see someone coming out of the bathroom typing on their phone. They're like, wait a second. Ew. And speaking of gross... Is the NFC in the NFL the equivalent of the Western Conference in the NBA? Are the conferences in the NFL now so skewed where all the good teams are now in the NFC? Yes, but it's circular. Not all the good teams, but most. Most, right, of course. There's one in the AFC, right? We know there's one good one. There's two in the AFC. We have Pittsburgh projected with the best offense in the league and a top 10 defense. Wow, yes. They had a top 10 defense last year. Yeah, the most under-the-radar quality defense in the NFL belongs to Pittsburgh. And yes, I know, middle linebacker is a problem without Ryan Shazier. I know, I know. Oh, middle linebacker. Oh, no, Ryan. Oh, no. we, we got to stop the run. Oh. Well, right. You they, Look, they had major problems. When you're as bad at stopping the run as they were in the last couple games of last year, it does get to be a problem. They need to improve that this year. But they've got really good young defensive backs. They've got good young pass rushers. Although they did, they do construct their pass rush more out of blitzes than most teams do and they get they get a lot of their sacks from the second level from like the inside linebackers and defensive backs and stuff anyway pittsburgh has uh, an offensive line that has a ton of continuity they have the best wide receiver in the game they have possibly the best running back in the game they have a pretty good quarterback so we have them as the best offensive projection so there's two teams in the afc but right now our top nine teams for this year, seven of them are in the NFC. Wow. That means that out of our top nine teams, even if they all match their projections, one of them has to miss the playoffs. Devastating news. That's team number nine in the Western Conference. Somebody in the NFC is going to get left out this season. Yeah. I mean, right now we have that as Atlanta. But, the, you know, the it's a, projections are about a range of possibilities. It could be that Atlanta's in and Dallas is out. Or it could be that Dallas is in and Green Bay is out. I have a feeling Dallas will be out. We like Dallas this year because people forget how good they were two years ago. And if you look at their numbers, it is amazing how much their offense declines when Tyron Smith is not in the game. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Offensive line movement is a big deal. If they have Tyron Smith for a full year, they are much, much better. This is why we include significant details about offensive line upgrades and downgrades in the team previews of our draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com. Are you familiar with the anglerfish? Uh, only from Fallout Far Harbor. The bottom of the ocean, they have these anglerfish. They have the, uh, I don't know what it is. They have like a tentacle that juts out from the top of their head and it dangles a lantern at the bottom of the ocean. So there's this light and it attracts fish and the fish swim up. And they think, oh, what's this pretty light? Like a moth to a flame. Oh, what's this light? What's this flame? No, no, Jesus! And they just get chomped by this anglerfish that has these prehistoric jaw and fangs. And it's terrifying. And if I were a defensive coordinator, I might install an anglerfish defense where I put a league bottom middle linebacker in the game just to tempt the opposing offense to run the ball, knowing that they are just running into the teeth of 
of my defense, and we want them to run the ball. Come here, run the ball. Go ahead, look, our, our bad middle linebacker, run the ball. Go, do it. You start giving up five and a half yards of carry. Now, all of a sudden, the run is efficient. So you still have to have middle line, but you still have to have everything. You still want to have everything in the NFL. Certain positions are more important than others. You can't put me out there at middle linebacker. The best thing you can have is a well-rounded team because the best thing you can do is what New England does. And that is that instead of forcing their will upon you, they will do whatever you are bad at defending. That's a great point. I was also enlightened by your position on the Indianapolis Colts. I need one more of these teams. Give me one more misunderstood team who's underrated in the NFL. Well, Dallas is the one I would give. Really? They're misunderstood? How much worse are their wide receivers now than they were two years ago? Jason Witten and Des Bryant were in the shadows of their careers two years ago. Wow. Okay. Okay. Not quite as bad as last year, but but they did it with the offensive line and the quarterback, and they're going to do it again with the offensive line and the quarterback, assuming the offensive line is healthy, and their defense has got some young talent on it to improve if they could put up an average defense. I mean, listen, our numbers have them neck and neck with Philly. You ask me subjectively, wow. I think you ask me subjectively, I think Philly is better. You ask me subjectively, I think Philly is better. But I absolutely think Dallas belongs in the conversation of, of, among those top NFC teams. Now, subjectively, I would put them at the bottom of that group with Atlanta, right? Not near the top of that group. But our numbers put them in the top part of that group. And Dallas has an advantage because Dak Prescott is still on his rookie deal, so they don't have to pay their quarterback a bloated salary. Okay, first of all, I'm going to admit their coaching has question marks. And the fact that they're screwing around with Tavon Austin so much is not a good sign. Right, and Rico gathers. And second of all, uh, this is the last year they could do this. They are going to hit a salary cap time bomb when Dak needs to get paid because they've been busy paying everyone else, like the offensive linemen. And this is it. This is Dallas's year. Like, Pittsburgh and Dallas, this is the year. They got to do it this year. Knowing that this was the year, if you were the general manager of Dallas, if Jerry Jones came to you and said, Aaron Schatz, we're going to go ahead and hire you to run the show, knowing that you have a one-year window to win a championship until the Dak Prescott contract time bomb fuse is lit, would you have spent money like the LA Rams did and just push your chips all in for 2018? Especially on wide receivers, yes. Thank you. That's all I've been saying. The, the fact that the front office has just been taking a vacation this offseason of all offseasons was offensive to me. And I'm not even a Cowboys fan. I don't even like the Cowboys. But on behalf of their fans, which are some of the worst fans in the league, they are generally spoiled, delusional brats. And still, I was offended on their behalf just because I just couldn't believe how mismanaged. Sometimes mismanagement manifests in the players you don't sign. And that was the case in Dallas, where they had this one-year window to sign players to get them to the next level, and they simply chose to check down to the river and turn their cards over. And what you're saying is that strategy gives you a wild card team. They're in the wild card contention, yes. Yeah, contention. The questionable coaching decisions, that, that could leave them out because the NFC is just so much competition. People seem to think that they're going to go 6-10. and 10. I, I think they're going to go like 9-7. and seven. I agree with you. Okay. They were 9-7 and seven last year, missing Tyron Smith for those games. And the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Yeah! That's impressive. Showing what you can do with rational play calling, you can win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Now, we have two quarterbacks 
that I'm excited to see move teams next year. It's Nick Foles and Teddy Bridgewater. Where would you like to see those quarterbacks go next year? Leave their teams and sign elsewhere to become starters. I wouldn't be surprised to see Manning finally look so old this year that either Tyrod Taylor or Teddy Bridgewater ends up in New York with the Giants. Oh, that would be nice. Wouldn't that be nice? Foles with the Giants would be uh, an even uh, a better... That would be an even better story, wouldn't it? It would be. I think people understand that Foles is a backup. I'm here for the Foles NFC East revenge games. You think Foles is a backup? I do. I think Foles is a backup. Look at how badly he played in the three regular season games. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I call vividness bias. The player plays well in the games that everyone's watching. And in the games no one's watching, he flames out. And what happens? His perception rises like a helium balloon. Why? Vividness bias. Yep, yep. Our memories don't remember all the little plays. They remember the big plays. I believe the Buffalo Bills are the worst team in the NFL. Do you agree? That's what we have. Actually, bingo sounds like the sound of a quarterback completing a pass accurately, so not bingo. I don't get it. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. One very, 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 very bold prediction for 2018. Singe my eyebrows off, Aaron Schatz. Singe them. Well, our boldest prediction is Jacksonville misses the playoffs. No, other than what you said earlier. Another one. Well, that's our boldest prediction. What do you want from me? Oh, God. Okay, how about this? Do you think Marcus Mariota outscores both Deshaun Watson and Jimmy Garoppolo? I bet that he outscores Garoppolo. So Garoppolo's overrated. Garoppolo is overrated, yeah. Watson gets the running value, right? So you think that Jimmy Garoppolo can finish outside the top 15 quarterbacks this season? I think so, yeah. You can't depend on just five games. If you look... Thank you. Josh McCown had a five-game spread with more fantasy points than Jimmy Garoppolo did last year. C.J. Beathard had a five-game spread where his fantasy points were similar to what Garoppolo did last year. You, you, can't, you can't extrapolate entirely off of uh, a five-game spread. Plus, Shanahan offenses like to run the ball. It's not going to be—they're not just going to be slinging it all over the field. Be careful of the small sample traps. Just say it. Say it flatly. Jimmy Garoppolo's overrated. Well, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit overrated, but he could be as good as people think, but it's all risk right now. Matt, hello. Well, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit overrated, but he could be as good as people think, but it's all risk right now. Boom. That's it. That's the show, my friend. That's the show. We did it. Okay, just for the outtakes, what are the odds that Chris Hogan outscores both Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams this year? 
small. No receiver in the game possibly has improved more in the last couple of years than Devontae Adams. So Devontae Adams is for real? Yeah. He's really improved in the last couple of years. There it is. I mean, my answer to is such and such for real is usually, you know, we don't know yet. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for we don't know. And I set you up with like Kenyon Drake. Of course, no one knows he's for real. Why are people so confident about him? What the hell? <sighs> that interview on the Dan Lebertard show, you did a great job in very challenging circumstances. Oh, the Lebertard show is always challenging circumstances. I mean, Dan Levitard claims that he is an aficionado of advanced metrics and he's trying to get answers to the sport for which we have very little understanding of what we're actually watching. And this is his perpetual lament that we don't know what we're watching. We need football media to leverage advanced metrics. And then he brings on a guy that specializes in advanced analytics and he walks out of the studio. What a fraud. Well, well, well... I don't know, because I don't listen that much to know how much he ever talks about advanced analytics. He talks about it all the time. He uses the idea of analytics to dismiss general narrative, and that's fine. But he talks about it generally like, oh, we don't know. But you're trying to come and take it to the next level and actually answer questions. Here's some next level analysis and explain, hey, here is what we're watching. Here is what's going on. And he's not there to listen. That's annoying. It was a little weird. Yeah, I was annoyed on your behalf. I just want to let you know. I want to share that with you, that I was annoyed on your behalf. I wanted to, like, jump through the radio. I don't mind that he let Nina take the lead. I've done interviews with him before where he's been there. I know. I'm just saying, every time, he seems to be mailing it in more and more. Um, you don't need to answer that. You can just let me complain, because the show's getting worse. Um... Yeah, I don't, I mean, that's the funny thing is I go on a lot of these shows, but I don't actually listen to them or watch them because they're on in the middle of my workday. I listen to the podcast and I find myself more and more skipping around the episodes where I used to not miss a segment. Now I skip around. That's the death knell of a podcast. Not taking things entirely seriously is part of what makes Levitard Levitard. Oh, for sure. But the ratio has shifted. It used to be 50-50. Now it's 90-10, nothing is serious. I'm not that serious, I love to not take myself seriously, that's part of my brand. But even for me, I'm like, we need some substance here. And thank God Aaron Schatz is on this program. I needed that 10 minutes, man, thank you. Uh, I do my best. And then you just say, hey, what's going on, Matt? For So for everyone, it's like, boom, the guest is like right there and they have no idea who it's gonna be. I'm not on video, am I? Three, two, one. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. You can find me on Twitter, underscore F-O, not underscore, at sign. All right, let's try this again from the beginning. Or you can pick it up, uh, find me on Twitter. It's up to you. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. Is this the first time you've been introed by an actual former radio disc jockey? because they lost Darius Geis. Oh no, they lost the running back, Aaron. Um, I'm going to interrupt you here and you can come, you can go back and cut this out, but we need to wrap it up. They better be. They better be. Oh, they better be. We need to wrap it up. Can Rob Gronkowski post the best tight end season of all time this season? Sure. We need to wrap it up. Come here. Run the ball. Go ahead. Look, our, our bad middle linebacker. Run the ball. Go do it. Actually, bingo sounds like the sound of a quarterback completing a pass accurately, so not bingo. 
Singe my eyebrows off, Aaron Schatz. Singe them. Well, that's our boldest prediction. What do you want from me? Garoppolo is overrated, yeah. And they think, oh, what's this pretty light? Like a moth to a flame. Oh, what's this light? What's this flame? Oh, no, no, Jesus! Yeah, I don't have the numbers at the tip of my tongue. Tip of my tongue. Tip of my tongue. I prefer to read physical books in the bathroom. I think it's gross to be on your iPhone in the bathroom. And, and feel free to deliver that message to the president. I don't care. I'm not on video, am I? Oh, middle linebacker. Oh, no, Ryan. Oh, no. We, we got to stop the run. Oh. This is why you're the podfather. We need to wrap it up.